You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 3rd of August 2022, with your usual Wednesday uh, Drive Time Show presenters, myself, Shajil Ahmed. And uh, also Dr. Tariq Bajasab here uh, with us as well. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing this afternoon? Peace be on you and uh, to all our listeners. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a you know, very, very pleasant. Um, hmm. And I hope that the, the next, uh, you know, over the, the weekend we are looking weekend, forward yeah. to the our annual conference and um, in Hadikat al-Madi near Orton. Hmm. And uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good... Uh, uh, weather prediction. The, for, the for weather prediction is is, is is looking quite good. Quite it's good, looking yeah. quite good. Uh, it's not going to be raining, hopefully, inshallah, God willing. And, yeah, uh, not and, and it's not going to be too hot because not we don't, too we don't like it <laughs> 40 degrees either. Yeah, 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 we don't want it to be scorching. We don't want it to be scorching. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah nice, so. nice, pleasant weather uh, is expected, what the forecasts are saying, predicting. So hopefully, yes, we will get nice weather. So those uh, those listeners who may be aware uh, or may not be aware as well that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, our community, we hold uh, an annual gathering, um, and mostly that happens, you know, in in the in in the summer holidays in the beginning, the first weekend of uh, of August, and uh, this Jalsa Salana, which is called the annual convention, um, which is which is actually started by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace. And uh, started in his time, he started it, and it's been going on ever since uh, as well. Uh, and so, as as you know, His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, in fact, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, he, because he resides over here in the UK, this is why the, the UK annual convention is an international convention. People from all around the world, um, you know, they come here and they, because the headquarters, headquarters are here of the community where His Holiness resides. So this is why people come here as well. And, and that's why it's an international convention, the UK convention as well. But this time, because of uh, COVID restrictions, it will be a little bit uh, restricted to, to the UK and some dignitaries will be coming from, from elsewhere, from outside. Um, but uh, a, a more a more open um, annual convention than last year. Last year was very was very very limited um, because of course because of COVID. Uh, so hopefully you know in the years to come um, the restrictions get easy and easy as well, and we'll go back to normal. In fact, better than 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 yeah. normal days uh, as well. Yeah, of course the invitation. It is you know you can come by invitation hmm. uh, and uh, also. You have to have your um, double vaccination Absolutely. as well as 
um, or or at least a little flow test on the same day uh, mm. the evidence for that uh, which is not uh, compulsory for under 12s so that is also yeah. like is, is um, opening because uh, last last year it happened but it was to a uh, limited degrees yes uh, yes. And uh, hopefully this year um, uh, the children, children holidays are there as well. Mm. Mm. And uh, and the topic today we are uh, going to speak on is related to the children and how yeah. <coughs> moms deal with them. Yeah, uh, and uh, obviously um, when children are on holidays, it's a special task for the moms. Um, to not only <laughs> keep on to their routine, yeah. because they they have to obviously look after. Particularly in these countries, they have you have to look after your children, you have to look after the house, mm. and you have to do a job uh, and fulfill At those requirements uh, yeah. if you are into a job as well. So all that and how how they cope with that, I I think I I always admire um, the mothers, particularly. Mm. I mean, with with my own experience. Uh, of the of the ladies in uh, in my household, I always envy upon their uh, patience and tolerance and how they deal with so calmly and quietly exactly. with with the, exactly. with the uh, children in particular. Um, and I I think it's the um, something which they learn. Uh, it is it is God given thing to the ladies that they have much more tolerance and patience. That's why they have been given this duty of looking mm. after children more yeah. than the men. Mm. And, uh, and, um, and, you know, it's a big responsibility as well because the children are what um, what they are trained to be at home. Mm. Oh, um, of course, they get um, training from both sides, both parents, but um, it's more attachment with the mother and they, they pick it up more from what the mothers and how they behave. Mm. Um, and and yet, um, sometimes, of course, I mean, they, they it gets out of control, and uh, depending on you know uh, what I would say, uh, what background do you come from, what what sort of training you have had, mm. and uh, how you have uh, seen in your household people dealing with the children, and how you, children, yeah. as a child, were dealt with all these factors. They play a, a major role, and. Uh, <clears throat> And 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 the, the knowledge you have as as well that there is a purpose of life and and you are in control. Uh, so if when it becomes out of control, hmm. uh, that that's where it is a problem. And uh, I think there's a very beautiful guidance given by. Uh, of course, the Holy Quran says that you should control your anger, hmm. uh, and that is that is a commandment. But uh, also, um, I remember that. Uh, the guidance given by the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizawulamiya he he has in principle he has said that you can only you know discipline somebody or uh, train somebody or tell somebody of if you are under control, mm. if you become if your anger is not being controlled by yourself mm. and you don't know what you are saying or doing or uh, uh, or you you have no right. To, to get angry at, at children and you should respect them. And uh, if you are under control and you know what you are doing, then you can discipline them, um, them because, of course, that is also your responsibility. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, with this, with you know, m- with mother rage or mom rage, 
um, and keeping sort of keeping your cool this uh, particularly this summer as well is it is it is quite a challenge just like you mentioned we will be speaking about uh, different uh, ways in which um, different people cope with this as well and of course uh, what uh, what Islam says as well as we just uh, touched upon uh, this as well um, but before we do that let's um, let's speak to our first guest who is on the line with us Anya Palathios, who is a licensed prof- professional counsellor um, and mental health coach as well. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show, Anya. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, women often often suffer, you know, sometimes when they when they are going through hardships and when they are going through trouble troublesome times, they they often suffer in silence, um, you know, with the stress of uh, of you know just just being a mother and the different things that they have to cope with. How common is it for for moms to struggle with mom rage? It is so common. Being a mom is tough. And we Mm. are often told that motherhood is the best thing to ever happen to us. And it's the happiest time of our lives. Mm. And then what happens is when it's not, because motherhood is tough, we then struggle in silence and can internalize that, that that's something that's wrong with me. And mom rage definitely plays a role in this, this wave of anger that often feels like it catches us by surprise. It often happens when we feel unheard, unseen, and unimportant. And so many of the moms that I work with say that they've never been an angry person before, yet here I am yelling at my kids again, and I don't even recognize myself anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Now, there's different uh, emotions which are, you know, which play a huge role in this as well. Why is guilt or shame attached with uh, with episodes of uh, of rage? Or and do mums seek counsel for it, or, or do they do their guilt p- prevent them from doing that? So we experience guilt when we feel bad about our actions. Like I feel bad for yelling at my kid this one time. Hmm. And for many moms, though, the yelling, these patterns can become more frequent and more consistent, and then it transitions into shame. Hmm. So whereas guilt, I feel bad about this one action, shame, I now feel bad about who I am. And I internalize this as part of my identity as a mom and internalize this message that I'm a bad mom because I experience rage and I yell at my kids. And there is such deep shame that can be associated with this and because moms don't talk about it because we're afraid of the judgment of how other people will perceive us. And when we can identify what's contributing to this rage and work to cope and control it, minimize it and prevent it, Mm. then that is where we can seek some support. So we are, as we see the message being normalized and having more conversations like this to talk about shame and mom rage, we see more women being comfortable in speaking out and getting support for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, The the mental load of uh, of any mother or motherhood as as a whole it's just something which you know because there's so much they have so much on their plate it's just, it just cannot be avoided now when when this happens what what are some of the ways in which they can sort of manage that and you know before it sort of overwhelms them i like to describe the mental load of motherhood as like i'm on the internet and i have 50 tabs open and they're all important and i can't close it mm-hmm. so what i need to do is find a way to offload a task 
completely from conception to execution. And I'll use giving the kids a bath as an example. So this is not that I have maybe a co-parent or a support person that gives the kids a bath and then I get them changed into their pajamas. That's not offloading the mental load. This is that the other person has to remember that it's bath time, has to wrangle up the kids, has to give them the bath, change them, and clean up the bathroom and the dirty clothes. That is how we begin to manage that mental load is we have to offload those tasks completely to create space for us to be able to cope and manage all of the other things on our plate. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, something else, you know, I want to you know, get, get into some of the practical things as well, practical elements. What are some ways to, to, express, to express anger? Because anger you know, naturally comes anyway. But what are some ways to express anger in a, in a sort of more positive or more healthy way? Uh, and how can, you, how can you be more sort of assertive without being angry towards children? Yeah, and I think you said it, right, is anger is a normal emotion and part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. When we can accept that, because anger, especially for women, is often deemed an unacceptable emotion. So especially through messages of in childhood and what we see, many girls are not allowed to experience anger in the same ways that traditionally maybe we allow boys to. So when we experience anger in motherhood, it comes as a shock. And there's that where that guilt and shame comes associated with it. So being able to allow ourselves to know that anger is normal, to know, as y'all were talking about, that we are the only ones in control of our emotions, anger being one of them, to know how, what do I need to do in order to regulate myself. And it's also knowing that anger on this iceberg is what we see above the surface of the water. But there's often a lot of other things that are triggering this anger. So when I can work to uncover those and understand the role that anxiety plays in showing up as anger, the role that overstimulation plays, the role that all of these other tasks that I have to navigate, how that shows up, then I can understand it and be able to regulate myself. So timeouts are great for moms. They're not for kids, but they're great for us to be Mm -hmm. able to just take a deep breath to center myself, regulate my emotions, and then come back into a situation. Exercise is really good for our bodies as well as for our mental health. Sometimes even turning anger into something playful once we've kind of regulated ourselves. If you think about like playing with the little kids like dinosaurs, we're going to roar like a dinosaur. Once we're in a calm place to do that, it helps us kind of be able to express that emotion. We can turn it into something playful mm. and I can release it in a way that is healthier for me. Very, very interesting. Very interesting and practical as well. Um, you, you, sp- you spoke about, uh, you know, physical exercise and sort of keeping keeping healthy in that way as well. And, in, and you know, self-care is also advised to, to moms, but... Sometimes we see that the mothers are so overwhelmed that they have so much stress or they, they just don't have the time sometimes as well or the strength or energy to actually to actually do that. What, what would your advice be you know, in this regard? I think, you know, we're due, it's time to change the narrative on what we think self-care is. Self-care isn't always doing something more. Quite often self-care is doing less. And when we can reframe it from that standpoint, then we can get on board because less I'm all about, right? I have too much on my plate already. So how can I do less? Mm. The way that we do that from a self-care standpoint is things like saying no to things that don't serve us or that we don't have the capacity for. Setting a boundary, 
getting rest and sleep, asking for help so that someone can carry the physical and the mental load of parenting. And self-care is ways that, that we do that through things like coaching and my practice where I work with moms, you know, internationally, online. We work through coaching. Initially, maybe it feels like I'm adding this thing, but what coaching is doing is it's helping us remove the shame that I carry. It removes the burdens of motherhood, the negativity that I carry about myself. So when I can do less, mm. I, have, I then have the capacity for more of the things that I actually want to do and the things that serve me. Very good. Very good. And Anya, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure and some, some good tips and trips and uh, some good advice which you have given. Hopefully the listeners uh, have uh, benefited from uh, from that as well. Thank you so much once again and uh, have a lovely day. You too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. So some uh, some interesting points and uh, tips, uh, the words of advice um, which Anya uh, gave us as well, um, you know, how sometimes we need to just sort of channel our emotions in the right direction and then we can sort of put that into perspective when we do put that into perspective it won't the outcome won't be as uh, you know as as sort of not detrimental but a negative as uh, as as sometimes it ca- it can be as well so all of these things are very very much important um there is a you know talking about anger talking about su- suppressing anger uh, is very very much important. You spoke about this uh, before as well. Before we took uh, Anya on, there is a very interesting verse in the Holy Quran in chapter three, verse one hundred and thirty-five, where Allah the Almighty mentions, "And those who suppress anger and pardon men, and Allah loves those who do good." And this is a very a very beautiful a very beautiful verse in the Holy Quran as well. Um, in fact, you know there 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 is a there is a um, there is an incident, which uh, you know which occurred a very famous incident as well with uh, in regards to Imam Hassan, or Imam Hussein. It was either one Imam of them, Hassan. Yeah. Now that it was very interesting as well that he had uh, he had an attendant he had an, he had a slave. Um, in those days, it was very common, and uh, what happened was that he accidentally he poured uh, some hot water. Or something, whatever, whatever drink it it was, a hot tea or whatever it was uh, on him, and naturally, you know, Imam Hassan, he he, may God be pleased with him, he got angry, you know. And if anyone puts hot water on you, pours hot water, even if it's by accident, naturally you you get a bit uh, you get a bit annoyed. And uh, what he what happened was was that that slaves he was quite intelligent as well. He and he knew the he knew the teachings of the Holy Quran. So first, you know, when this happened, and he saw that Imam Hassan is, uh, you know, is, you know, is quite angry, quite annoyed at me, he he quickly recited the first part of this verse, and that is, and those who suppress anger. So then he said, okay, you know, I I, I suppress my, I suppress my anger now. Um, that is fine. You know, I'm not going to be angry now. And then, you know, he saw his reaction, which was, you know, quite positive. And then he, you know, he thought maybe let me try my luck. And then he said, and those who pardon men, will afina anin nas. And then you know when he when he quoted this part of the verse, he said this he said this part of the verse because he thought maybe sometime later he might uh, he might get annoyed again at me or he might bring something else. Like, oh, you do this, and then I'm, I'm you know he might get angry at me as also. Well. That's why he he recited the second part of the verse. And then he said, no, don't worry. I have suppressed my anger, and I'm not going to bring anything back up. I've forgiven uh, I'm you. Not, I've, 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 literally, I've, I've forgiven you. 
And then he got even more brave and he said, let me try my luck even more. And then he recited the last part of the verse and Allah loves those who do good. Wallahu yuhibbul muhsineen. And then when when he recited that, then Imam Hassan said that, okay, you know, I've suppressed my anger. I'm not going to be, I've forgiven you. In fact, I'm going to free you as a slave. So <laughs> this, is a, this is a very beautiful example that, you know, he, the slave, he actually, you know, accidentally, he poured hot water or hot drink or whatever it was, hot tea on him. And the result of, of that was that he got he got free. Yeah, <laughs> that was the very beautiful, very beautiful example, uh, you know, in regards to in regards to that as well. Um, let's um, let's speak to our next guest who is on the line with us, Dr. Judy Polowski, the neuroscientist, psycho psychotherapist, uh, and a mum of two. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon, and welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for for joining us this uh, this afternoon. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, to begin with, what does the what does the term mum brain actually mean? And and are, are there certain changes to the brain during the uh, transition to, to, to motherhood? Yeah, okay. There's a two actually separate questions, I think. Mum hmm. brain, we often use the term mum brain to refer to memory changes that can happen during pregnancy in the postpartum period, which many moms will will talk about, perhaps forgetting things more frequently, can't, unable to find words for things and what have you. But in fact, there's so much more going on in the brain that I, I, I've written about this and I talk about how we should use this term mom brain to describe all the amazing things that go on in your brain when you become a parent. Not only mother's brains change, but also father's. Hmm. But when we're talking specifically about what we know about how the brain changes across pregnancy and the postpartum period in mothers, we know that there are quite significant changes that are quite consistent um, in in all women that birth. So Hmm. the research has shown that there's two things we we know about. So one, there's increased function, uh, that's activity when viewing a baby in the postpartum period, for example. So there's this kind of a drive for the the brain to be attuned to baby and baby's needs. But we also know that if we look at size of the brain or structural changes, that there's a lot of changes that way. So in terms of, um, you know, different areas of the brain become slightly smaller in this case. Mm. And so when people think of that, they think, oh, but my brain is shrinking. This is why I don't remember. But in fact, this uh, research showing that the brain has been essentially shrinking, very slightly, I'll add, Uh, it's associated with how a mom feels towards her baby, and in fact, positive feelings towards her baby, and not associated with any changes in memory. So when I think of mom brain myself, I want us to think of how amazing the brain is, how it becomes geared to care for baby, and all these kind of changes that take place to ensure that a mom learns to care for baby. But I also want to point out it's not just a mom brain that changes. We know that uh, a non-birthing parent's brain will change, a dad's brain will change. It might take a little bit longer time, but we know that experience is key for a lot of the brain changes in both mom and dad in the postpartum period. So experience with baby is really important for your brain to really learn what it's doing and how to respond to baby. Very interesting, very interesting. when it comes to when it comes to mum rage as well, what are the key drivers behind this? And are they always um, sort yeah. of external factors? 
Yeah, so mom rage is a whole area I think that we need to study more as neuroscientists, definitely in, in the postpartum or the perinatal space. Hmm. It's something many women really struggle with. And, and <clears throat> when I think about it, I think there's probably a couple factors, of course, external and internal. But part of me thinks there's a huge external factor, a huge, um, you know, there's, society has built up motherhood to be something, you should be the perfect mother, which entails doing all these things that that is impossible so there's a lot of pressure to be a mother in a certain way there's a lot of things perhaps that become um, difficult for a woman to do alone or without support there's a pressure to be something that doesn't work out well so I feel in some ways there's a huge uh, societal cultural component and a pressure there that can lead to to this rage I mean for me I think of anger or rage as needs not being met so there's something missing. There's something, um, you know, it's a, it's a, a deep-down anger that's seated somewhere, perhaps because of the lack of support, perhaps because of the pressure, perhaps because she wants to do something different. Maybe she doesn't want to be a full-time mom or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of this comes from these external factors. Um, but in terms of how the brain changes, we just don't know. You know, we know that different areas of the brain, of course, are important in emotional regulation and in parenting. Um, you know, these areas overlap, and then they're important in, in anger and, and emotions. I will also say, though, you know, a healthy range of emotions is really important. So, you know, not being it's, – it's okay to be angry sometimes in front of your kids. It's okay to be sad sometimes in front of your kids you know, displaying healthy emotions is really important um, for kids to learn that that's okay as well. But when it comes to rage, I think we're talking about something a bit different hmm. and, and it can be quite uh, pervasive and disruptive to to a mother's life. Hmm. I mean, just just leading on from that as well, how does an angry mother, uh, I mean, you just mentioned that some, you know, sometimes it can be okay to be angry, but uh, when, you know, when, when there's, rage involved how does that impact a child's developing brain yeah i think this is an interesting question and i don't think it's been explored fully we definitely know that mom's emotions and dad's emotions too or other you know other environmental factors can have a significant impact on child development but i think we also need to remember that kids are really pretty resilient and and you know there's different stages of a child's life the teenage years are also impactful as well and so you know, a mom's mood or anger or rage can have an impact, but it's not the only thing that's going to be impacting a child's development. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we often, at least in the space where I do my research, it's around postpartum depression in which, you know, many women also struggle with anger and rage who have depression. There's often this idea, oh, you're depressed, so you're, you're ruining your child's development. Mm. And in fact, there might be an increased risk of some, you know, outcomes that aren't favorable in the kids, but it doesn't mean your child will develop any certain way. And especially if, if someone's aware, a mother is aware of how she's feeling and can seek out support and help. I mean, this can go a long way, of course, for her to feel well. That's really important. And that will also transmit into a healthier family life and healthier child development. But I, I think that sure there's some sort of impact potentially but we don't know from a scientific point of view how mom rage could impact the child's neurodevelopment Mm. but we also know there's many different factors that can be positive in child neurodevelopment that go beyond 
um, the experience of having a mom who gets angry and has rage. So yeah, yeah. So I um, hope I'm, I'm sharing some hope there. So if you're, yeah. it's not just. Yeah, I think it's important to remember there's lots of different things can be that can be positive as well. Absolutely for children. Absolutely, definitely, definitely. Um, sometimes we, I mean, in fact, uh, we see that the mental load of motherhood is, uh, you know, is, is so overwhelming that, uh, you know, there they yeah. can be everyday triggers and stresses and it can just be, it might just be that one thing that ticks and that, that just ticks them off. Th- does that impact the brain in the long run though? Yeah, so the mental load of motherhood we talk about a lot these days and I think there's a huge mental load of motherhood that impacts our memory, if we have too many things going on, our emotions. I mean, your brain can only manage so much. That's the way I look at it. And when it starts to be overloaded, then it's going to start to act up, let's say. And then that's when your emotions are going to be changing, potentially your memory and things like this. Will this have a long-term impact? I mean, there isn't research specific looking at mental load and uh, long-term impact in parents. Mm. But we do know that parenting itself, so being a parent or being a mother, does have a long-term impact on the brain in, in what we've, we're starting to see as a positive way. Um, so, so that's something to, to, you know, maybe to give some, uh, to, to be positive about. But in terms of that mental load, I think any time regardless of whether we're parents or not, and we have a long duration of a lot of stress or strain or mental load, this can be not, uh, it can be detrimental in the long run. So I think in these cases, it's important to try to manage that mental load to get some support, to support a mom you see struggling. It's not just her, you know, asking for help that's important. It's also asking her what you can do to help her. So, I mean, the research isn't there to really specifically say high mental load equals X in the long run, mm. not as far as I know in terms of brain health. But I think it's, you know, it's obvious that a prolonged stressor can, for anyone, is not healthy. So, especially for parents, I think it's really important, and for moms specifically, to, to be supportive, to acknowledge how much they are doing, and realize that moms want to do things sometimes differently than what we would expect as a society. And that's okay, too. There's definitely many different ways to be a parent, to be a mother, and it doesn't, you know, sometimes falls outside of what's expected of them. And But that can be really great for them and for their kids as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Very well put there, uh, Dr. Judy. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, hopefully listeners have... Uh, benefited from uh, from our discussion and talk uh, as well. Thank you so much once again, and uh, have a lovely yep. day, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Bye bye. We are asking a a question on our uh, Instagram handle at Voice of Islam UK. How are you keeping the children entertained um, this uh, this summer? And uh, some people have uh, responded to that. Uh, I'll just read that uh, out for, for, for our listeners as well. Outdoor play, water play, ice cream, runs, forest, walks, family time, reading. Uh, someone has said meeting my siblings so the kids can play together. Weekly trips to, to local attractions. Uh, someone else has said snacks, education, snacks, garden time, snacks. MTA, MTA is uh, you know, the, uh, the channel of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, uh, Muslim Television Ahmadiyya and more snacks 
and someone else has said by 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 taking them to Jalsa Salana UK. Now Jalsa Salana is the you know the annual convention which we mentioned in the beginning uh, in the beginning of our show, which is going to be held on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this uh, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So all of our listeners who who are sort of interested, they want to you know listen to the proceedings. They they can go if they, if they got a Skybox seven three one is the channel. Uh, they can also you know if you've got a computer, if you've got a laptop. You can go on to www.mta.tv and uh, live stream the proceedings over there, or you can go on uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, just type in MTA TV and it will come up, and then you can watch the live proceedings over there as well. So that's that's that. But if you want to um, contribute to our show today, if you want to voice your opinion, you go to Voice of Islam UK on our Instagram handle uh, and uh, leave your comments over there. We would love to hear uh, your responses as well if you want to get in touch with us via call you can call us 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call um you know it's it's been an interesting show talking about uh, all of this um as well and talking about how to suppress the anger how to keep your calm because all of these things are very very much important is it not just for the mother but yeah. for but for everyone isn't it father as well so um I think it's mom rage. It's, it's, um, it has been very well explained by, by our guests. Hmm. Uh, because it's something which is... Uh, which it's, it's not something which we, uh, you know, we, we label as a mom rage, which is like one-off thing hmm. that, you know, you get annoyed at somebody who is uh, um, doing something which uh, you are not expecting them to do. Yeah. But it's like a persistent or chronic feeling that can linger under the surface making moms feel on edge or prone to feeling irritable, hmm. yelling or screaming at the slightest uh, provocation. And, and uh, you know, of course, for mother motherhood means that provocation is nonstop because the children are going to be there and there's always something happening. And uh, the children <coughs> who are more active, of course, they are uh, uh, more intelligent. Hmm. They they. Uh, and they are <laughs> lovely, you know. They, they, uh, you, you love their company when they are around, and you you don't want to, uh, you know, you, you enjoy their company because of the innocence uh, mm. they show, they, and the love they give to you as well. Yeah. But at the same time, um, mother, for mother, it is not something which is just for. You know, a few moments and then it will go away. Yeah. It, is, it is going it's, to be there all the time. It's lifetime, has, isn't it? <laughs> she has a responsibility as well. So sometimes, of course, uh, the rage um, um, it, it comes and it, it can be explosive, can be intense, and it's mm. com- it can be completely out of blue, out of the blue as well. Because the thing is that. Uh, <clears throat> Um, you don't know. You, you might think that this is happening just one off thing, but uh, uh, because the mother has gone through, gone through the whole the whole again, build up, isn't and it? The, and the children, the they, sometimes they they won't listen to do, and they they will do they will do they will trigger. They have the ability to push <laughs> all those wrong buttons, <laughs> <laughs> and and they test the parents' patience as well to mm. the last degree. Mm. Uh, particularly if you are like uh, somebody said that you will visit your uh, siblings, and and mm. particularly when they are. In somebody else's in a situation, uh, yeah. they're not at home, but some somewhere else, and mm. they're behaving badly. Then, <clears throat> of course, uh, the rage can uh, 
can be explosive and and sometimes it is out of proportion if you are if you are looking at it and you think that this is out of proportion but you don't know what is you the don't background know what's the background yeah and also as uh, uh, i think dr um, uh, our caller uh, dr jody mm-hmm. mentioned that something going on in the background as well is a situation the mother has been going on to she she might not be well she might not, might have gone through um personal yeah. depression yeah. um things like that that there is a background as well but uh, <clears throat> of course um, um, the holy quran has given a very uh, a very clear guidance and if you are under control and you are able to um, uh, you you are uh, you can control your anger better um, if you th- you are actually controlling yourself under the guidance of the holy quran this is mm-hmm. a, this is the teaching of the holy quran this is the teaching of the holy prophet may so, peace and blessings of allah be upon him this is the teaching of the holy founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community the promised messiah uh, on mm-hmm. whom be peace he he condemned um, taking out anger on the children and there are so many incidences where you see how Uh, you know oh, he didn't yeah. show any anger at all you know the, the the other day we were mentioning about this incident that his young child uh, hazrat mirza mahmood ahmed he was uh, very young at that time and he came and he, he just uh, he got hold of his uh, he was writing some writing very important yeah. and yeah. He, he you know he he did fire uh, he gave fire to it and he just burnt everything uh, and he was so calm and he said okay god will teach me something better to, mm. to write so so th- that is they, these are like we have got the role models and uh, so the promised messiah himself on whom be pc instructed that an individual with self respect and control over himself who is also forbearing and dignified has the right to correct a child to a certain extent as the occasion demands or seek to guide the child but a wrathful and hot-headed person who is easily provoked is not fit to be a guardian for children hmm. and uh, and he, he further mentioned that i wish that instead of punishing children parents would have recourse to prayer and should make it a habit to supplicate earnestly for their children for the supplications of parents on behalf of their children meet with special acceptance mm. Mm. Uh, and you will see that the children who who become like great personalities later on in their life you, you see the role of their mother how they behaved Uh, um, uh you know uh, uh, in during their childhood how them the mothers because they turned to god they they prayed for them mm. and that is what actually made them what they what they later on yeah. became yeah. rather than their directly uh, you know uh, uh, punishing them or you know disciplining uh, mm. them in, in various ways uh, and again and the has uh, the second caliph of the ahmadiyya uh, muslim community hazrat mirza bashiruddin mahmood ahmed um he mentioned that uh, address a child politely and courteously for a child is a great mimic if you address it rudely it will return the com- compliment in kind mm. so so it is uh, yeah they, they 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 will definitely uh, you know mimic whatever you you do yourself mm. so and, and you should accept the way you behave with them that one day they will behave with you in the same manner as well you know there's other you know practical examples as well which you know which the the holy founder of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him actually taught us as well he said that um when you become angry if you you know if if you become angry uh and he is standing then let him sit down you know so his anger will go away and if he and if it does not go away let him let him lie down so uh it's you know practical examples uh, as well of you know someone else his holiness as well 
that what can I do to to make me less angry? Then he also gave, uh, you know, he also said uh, this example is that if you're standing up, then sit down. If you're sitting down and you're still angry, then you should lie down. And also drink some cold water. Uh, if you get angry, then drink drink some cold water. That will uh, suppress, uh, you know, keep you get, get you a little bit calm, and that will suppress your your anger as well. So there are these practical examples which we can actually uh, follow and understand uh, as well. But you know, it's, it's important to show a good example in front of the children because, as mentioned, they are great mimics. They 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 love to copy, and they also they don't just copy your actions, but they copy. Uh, your your words, what you say as well. If you're rude to them, you're, if you're shouting at them, if you're swearing at them, they will also swear back as well. And uh, this, you know, it's uh, it's also something that we to be very very careful uh, about. Also, we we spoke to we spoke we were fortunate enough to speak to uh, uh, Mina Dublin, uh, who is a writer, a workshop facilitator, and an occasional public artist. Let's listen to to uh, what she had to say. Why do you think there's a need to start conversations around mom rage? Um, I think the mom rage is such a big topic right now because mothers are really suffering. And I think they've been suffering for a long time, but the pandemic really kind of brought it into focus. Uh, I think that the moms who weren't feeling mom rage started to feel it. I think, you know, mom rage isn't because of the pandemic, but the pandemic really exacerbated it for so many mothers um, and needs to be talked about because there's so much shame mothers feel for having complicated feelings about motherhood. But when people are stuck in shame, they can't change. Shame doesn't want to be seen. You know, it wants to be Mm -hmm. hidden. And if we can talk about mom rage and normalize the experience of feeling angry in motherhood, then we can begin to look at the root causes of that. And then we can start thinking about potential solutions. That's true. Um, So for your book, Mom Rage, The Everyday Crisis of Modern Motherhood, you've spoken to several mothers about this. Um, Is there a common theme that you've noticed in how mothers feel about this? I mean, there's a a few through lines. Um, One is that talking about it really helps. Just finding finding someone who they can connect with, um, especially other mothers, is really important for them. a lot of mothers unleash their rage on different people. Some of them, you know, have rage and it um, gets unleashed on their partners only. Some of them just the kids, some of them on their pets. And other moms internalize the rage and self-harm. So people deal with it really differently. And I try in the book, I tried to show those different stories. Um, but the commonality is really that so many moms feel it and that they feel shameful about it and then silenced. Because the, the way that... Um, the patriarchy oppresses mothers is invisible. It's tricky to concretely point out invisible systems of oppression and how they harm people. So it's 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 kind of crazy making because you, as a mother, you I, all these moms, I think one through line is that they all fear that they're terrible mothers. Mm-hmm. But the more mothers that I talk to, the more mothers admit, yes, I experience this too. So if it's everyone or tons and tons of mothers, it stops being a personal failure and becomes a systemic issue. Mm, It's really eye-opening then, isn't it? Yeah. How is mom rage different than regular rage? At what point should therapy or counsel be sought? Well, I mean, rage is an equal opportunity emotion. Anyone can experience extreme anger, which is what rage is. Um, Mom rage is specific to being 
um, a mother, which is really a neglected station in our society. Um, mothering is unacknowledged labor. It goes unpaid, unsupported in every possible way. And yet without it, there would be no next generation of workers and men would be saddled with children and unable to bring their fully functioning selves to their professional lives. So I, the rage that mothers feel, even though it might seem like a mom is really angry about a kid not putting on his shoes, <laughs> hmm. it's, it's, you know, that's sort of like, what's in your face, but there's so much happening behind it. There's so much lack of support that just puts every single little thing on moms and makes moms fuses so short. So that's why mom rage is sort of the specific experience that's, um, that's specific to motherhood. And then in terms of, you know, at what point should therapy be sought? I mean, personally, I think therapy should always be sought. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, not just for mom rage, but for everyone. I think, mm -hmm. I think all men should be in therapy. I think we should all be in therapy personally. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that therapy can be really useful if you have a good therapist, um, for mom rage and it should absolutely be sought if there is fear that there's damage being done, you know, or if the mom is afraid that, um, that, they're having, you know, physical inclinations to want to, um, you know, touch someone in a not kind way, then of course, but mom rage doesn't necessarily go there. But yeah, I think, I think everyone should be in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Would help out with a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> true, true. So we, we often tell mothers to practice self-care or seek counsel if they're overwhelmed, but how can the society provide support to mothers? I mean, there's, there's so many ways, you know, first and foremost, I think six months paid, paid parental leave would be useful for all parents, no matter if they're birth parents or adoptive parents or foster parents, same sex partners, um, even if they're not married and that the, it's been shown um, that it's really important that the two parents can split the leave time however they want. So if someone wants to take two weeks there and four months here, you know, whatever works for them is really useful. And then that helps fathers be more bonded and connected with their children. Uh, universal health care would be great, uh, specifically built on an ethic of care. So it places the mothers at the center and they become the priority and not money. Because one of the problems with the capitalist healthcare system is that the mom just becomes a body in a room and they have to make room for the next body. And we lose that sort of ethic of care for, mm -hmm. for humanity. Um, a monthly parenting stipend would be a great way to support mothers. Free childcare um, in general from, you know, whenever people need it. So six months, a year, all the way up through kindergarten. And then also childcare during school breaks, because what happens is that during the summers and during winter breaks, and then during that, you know, those few hours after school every day, between when school ends and work ends, all of that always falls onto the mother. She's like, the mother is the default childcare provider in most families. And so if, if, you know, society would figure out how to provide childcare, then mothers could do other things with that time. They're not just like sucked always into childcare life. Right. 
Um, Sorry. Yeah, and, and, and one last thing I would say also is, you know, I'm not sure it's different in, you know, in every medical system across the world, but I can speak for, from the U S that, you know, postnatal care ends after six weeks for mothers. And so one other thing I would say is that postnatal medical and mental health care for mothers would continue um, for an entire year postpartum. Right, because that is a, it's a vulnerable period. It's a transition. Exactly. That still. Yeah. Yeah. So often mothers don't talk about how they're feeling for fear of judgment or being shamed. Why have we equated motherhood with perfectionism? How can we break down this myth? Uh, it's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert on the history of motherhood, but from what I understand, um, during the industrial revolution, when, um, men started going and doing factory work and women stayed home to be with the children and that division of labor got sealed, um, the home became known as this place of morality and nurturing. And so mothers got like fell into that. Uh, sort of the, those adjectives became um, connected to motherhood. And so mothers were the, the people who made their children be moral people. And they were, they became, you know, the nurturers of society. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, mothers went, when mothers started going to work, um, then they had to be everything. So all the while the demands of a parenthood skyrocketed at the same time. And, you know, each kid is so overscheduled today And the expectations of mothers is that we're constantly watching, constantly with the kids. Like my my parents' generation and the one before it, you know, they were they would just play in the street, and like one or two parents would maybe sit on a chair and like have their eyes out on the block. But like today, it's much much more constantly watching, constantly with the kids. And if we're not, if something goes wrong, the mothers are the ones who get the blame and the judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where the perfectionism comes from. It's kind of like a fear mentality also, because if things aren't, don't go well, if your kid, you know, isn't quote unquote performing well, the, the judgment of it comes to the mother. And so the mother is struggling to, to perform in this way and to have her children perform, even though that's all, it's impossible, right? Perfectionism is impossible. True. True. Um, and how can we break down this myth? Um, <laughs> I don't really know. Um, I mean, I, I just think the more that we can talk about, the more that mothers are sort of out of this like silencing box. Um, and I also think that the more that fathers step up and take on parenthood, the more that fathers step into the role of primary parent, the less pressure is on mothers. And so I would, I would ask fathers also to step up and step in and get loud about being dads. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's true about starting conversations because when we started the conversations, that's when we realized, you know, we're not alone. We're not right. singled out. Everybody's feeling this. And moms felt more safe to say that, you know, we are struggling with this. Right. That's true. Yeah. So sometimes this topic can be seen as taboo or a no-go area for some cultures. How can this be addressed and tackled? I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit wary to say like what other cultures should do. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't, 
I mean, I do in a way all, I think most cultures are like this around motherhood. It's, this is a taboo topic. Mom rage is definitely a taboo topic everywhere, but I think in certain cultures, it's even more of a taboo topic. And I also think that there are cultures that don't necessarily view motherhood as an oppressive system and that motherhood is more like almost powerful. Um, I mean, my, my suggestion for addressing and tackling it would be to start small, like to find another mom who you feel like you can talk to, who you can share about it with, and then let that grow. I just think the more that people are talking about it and writing about it, and I mean, even, you know, there's a lot, people are doing mom groups, um, you know, and moms talk about this in mom groups. We need to create safe spaces for mothers to have honest conversations about what they're experiencing so that then they can think critically about why they're experiencing it and how to change it. Right. Well, thank you so much, Mina. That was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me. This was Thank fun. you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. A mother expressed feelings uh, or feeling exhausted on parenting uh, a young child and sought guidance from the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah be his helper. He said that even if you find it difficult, you should not express your anger at your child or take out your frustration upon her. Rather, you should explain to the child that you are tired and you are going to rest and reassure her that you will play with her afterwards. Children are naturally intelligent and they do and they do understand. You can even tell her that you are tired and and so uh, she she should press your legs or massage your head and the child will begin to will begin to enjoy that too and in this way you can guide and train her but do not show anger do not shout and do not say anything negative to them uh, as well now there's a very famous uh, saying of the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him he advised us advised us to respect your children and cultivate in them the best of manners so that's our show for today. Join us after the break as we will go into our next topic, which is about Muharram, the Battle of Karbala. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. In this part of the show, we are speaking, or we're going to our next topic, which is about uh, Muharram. The, the Battle of uh, of Karbala. Now, the, the holy month of Muharram, actually, uh, Muharram is, a, is one of the Islamic months, uh, or in the, in the Islamic calendar, one of the months in the Islamic calendar. In fact, it's the first month of the Islamic calendar. And generally, across the world, the new year is a very sort of, you know, a happy, a happy occasion, a joyous occasion, as people celebrate a, a sort of a, a, a new beginning. Although Muslims share these feelings of happiness, um, the month of Muharram also brings a very sort of a, a painful and a grim reminder of one of the greatest tragedies in the history of Islam. 
one of the darkest days recorded in uh, in Islamic history. And that was that the beloved grandson of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Imam Hussain, may Allah be pleased with him, along with his family and also some, some dear companions, may Allah be pleased with all of them, were mercilessly martyred on the fields of, uh, of Karbala. Now, this is something that we're going to be speaking about. So join us as we, you know, find out the significance of the, you know, of the month of uh, of this month in Islam, and we talk about the background of the the Battle of Karbala in which this incident actually took place, and understand the great status of uh, Imam Hussein. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him uh, as well. So that's uh, that's what we're going to be speaking about now. In order to understand this history, you know, this this key historical event. We'll start by looking at the state of Islam after the sad demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, His Holiness, you know, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be pleased with him, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him. He has been, you know, for a number of years now, he has been telling us the incidents of about different companions. And for about over a year or so, he has been speaking about, uh, you know, the the four rightly guided Khulafa, the Caliphs, who came after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Anyone who's been listening to those Friday sermons can have, will have a better understanding about, uh, you know, what the state of affairs was, what were the different uh, battles which uh, which happened, how was Islam spread, and all of the different things as well. The, the, mart- the martyrdom of Hazrat uh, of, uh, Hussain, uh, may God be pleased with him, was a continuation from the martyrdom of the third caliph, Hazrat Usman, may Allah be his helper. And this was the time when dissension had begun uh, to take forward in Islam. You know, different parties were, were, were forming, different blocks were forming. Now, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, the Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, eloquently explains the reason for rising animosity during that time. In fact, he's written a book, Dissension, the outset of dissension in Islam, Islam Ikhtilafat Ka Aghaz, and he and that has been translated into English. And you know, you can go and uh, read that book and read different chapters which are dedicated uh, to this particular event as well. He states that certain people who were not complete in their faith became envious upon witnessing the honor, status, success, and authority of the companions because Islam was spreading, because Islam was progressing. It was, um, you know, it was, uh, it had a proper ground, a proper authority, and people, some weak-minded people, in fact, some some uh, some hypocrites, is as well as some uh, some disbelievers, they they were they were envious. In fact, they were jealous for this as well. And such a hostile environment continued during the caliphate of Hazrat Ali, who was the fourth rightly guided caliph. May Allah be pleased with him. And due to similar reasons, as uh, as you know, as I just mentioned. Now, he was the cousin, Hazrat Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, he was the cousin of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he was also martyred um, uh, as well. In, you know, his, in fact, the second, the third, and the fourth caliph, they were all martyred. And he was also married, as, as well as being the cousin of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was married to the righteous daughter uh, of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well, Hazrat Fatima. May Allah be pleased with her. And uh, he was also a father uh, to Hazrat Imam Hassan and Hussain. May Allah be pleased with both of them. Now, ultimately, this animosity led to 
his unfortunate assassination, his martyrdom, when he was fatally attacked on his way <coughs> to the to the mosque, and it was Yazid's ascension to the throne which led to the the cruelest and most painful event in the history of Islam. In fact, Yazid did not possess a, a pious character, nor was he divinely appointed. He wasn't a caliph. He wasn't divinely appointed and a self-made, self-made leader as well. And due to this, a number of companions, including Hazrat uh, Hussain, did not accept him. And after the demise of Hazrat, uh, Hazrat Hassan, may Allah be pleased with him, Yazid's men were, were compelling Hazrat Hussain um, and his family, along with the, the followers, the companions, to accept Yazid as the caliph. But of, co- of course, as he was not rightly guided, as he was not even a pious person, in fact, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace has called him Yazid Balid. Um, you know, Balid in Urdu means uh, unholy, unpure, unholy. So, you know, he was a very, uh, you know, a bad person. And uh, to, in fact, you can even say a tyrant of enforcing people, forcing people, a dictator, forcing people to accept him as the leader, which, of course, the Muslims were not going to do that. So the Hazrat Imam Hussain obviously um, did not accept him uh, as a caliph uh, and uh, in order to avoid um, you know any bloodshed or anything so he, he, he actually went out of Mecca mm. uh, and uh, after which uh, he, he himself was invited by the people in you know in Kufa the Kufa, uh, you know, obviously it is it is uh, uh, in Iraq, <coughs> and um, so there are lots of people. The, the Muslims they they had been, um, you know, and they have been living there because Hazrat Ali during the time of Hazrat uh, the Caliphate of Hazrat Ali, the fourth Caliph, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he actually changed the capital from Medina to Kufa. And um, so, because of that, mm. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of Muslims, lots of followers, or lots of people who were sincere to Hazrat Ali. And because Hazrat Imam Hassan and Hussain, they were, they were um, sons of uh, Hazrat Ali. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. So they, they showed their uh, faithfulness, their loyalty to Hazrat Imam Hussain, and they invited him mm. that they should come um, to Kufa, and they will be willing to accept him as a caliph. Hmm. Uh, as their leader um, he actually he had sent his uh, um, uh, 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 Hazrat Muslim bin Aqil um, to um, to Kufa to sort of uh, um, see what's, what's the state of affairs there um, just to check what's the situation there and uh, apparently the people in um, Kufa at that time they, they welcomed him Muslim mm. bin Akil and and he had you know when the, on the initial assessment Muslim bin Akil wrote a letter to Hazrat Imam Hussain mm. that the situation is okay people are loyal to and they're willing to accept you so you come along now this letter was already sent uh, but when Yazid came to know that Muslim bin Akil has gone to Kufa, has gone to Kufa and yeah. he's gathering people and who might turn against him and, and will not be willing to accept him as a Khalifa. So he, he sent his representative to Kufa and under his uh, obviously um, <coughs> threat from him, um, they actually killed uh, Muslim bin Akil. 
and and uh, because Hazrat Muslim bin Aqil, or may Allah be pleased with him, he he was martyred there in Kufa, and um, the people who were apparently before that they were in favor of Hazrat Imam Hussain, under the uh, under the pressure from the from Yazid. Hmm. And his uh, workers, of course, of course, he had sent um, uh, people there. Um, they uh, they turned against Hazrat uh, Imam Hussain. And and in this situation, obviously, the, the Yazid, uh, when he he had found this situation, but Hazrat Imam uh, Hussain, although he knew the situation that Muslim bin Aqil has been killed. But he decided to go um, to Kufa uh, with his, a handful of companions and, and his only person, his, his personal family members, mm. uh, and he he actually and the, the total number of these people was seventy two, and uh, uh, I remember a poet has very uh, you know beautifully uh, made a couplet in which he says that when those seventy two were killed. Mm. The Muslims got the punishment that they were divided into seventy-two sects. Mm. You know, so he has related that in a, in, a, in, a, in a manner because these all these seventy-two people they uh, they, uh, you know, they 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 were a handful of people and Yazid obviously he was uh, he had the army at that time and he he sent four thousand an army of four thousand people just to capture him. Mm. So uh, what happened next was um, the most cruel and heartbreaking event in the history of Islam and that's what makes everybody sad particularly in the first 10 days of Muharram yeah. because it was uh, he started his journey due, uh, you know in the beginning of Muharram and then on the 10th day of Muharram a fatal battle between uh, you can imagine what kind of a battle it could be because these are poor people unarmed uh, traveling um, on a journey yeah. it wasn't a fair it wasn't and, a fair and it's all yeah. uh, ladies and and children and Hazrat Imam Hussain's family, and uh, so despite that, you know, they, those who were able to fight, they did fight till the end, uh, and it is uh, it's very uh, like heartbreaking um, incidents when you study into the details that they they stopped their water, they couldn't drink the water because uh, the, the you know when they went to take water from the river which was nearby. And um, uh, and then the, in the most cruel manner, Hazrat Imam Hussain was martyred, uh, uh, you know, on that uh, on the tenth of Muharram. So um, he, Hazrat Imam Hussain, obviously he was uh, consumed by the love of God. He had, uh, for the honor of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He suffered um, terribly. He, uh, you know, his wounds were. He got wounds from 45 arrows, mm. 33 spears, and over 40 sword blows. And his body became disfigured, and his blessed head, which was once kissed by the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings Allah be upon him, mm. it was severed from his body. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it is like you mentioned. The more, the more you talk about it, the yeah, more, the more, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very sad, very sad yeah. event which Nabi actually took place. Surely to Allah we belong, and to Him we shall return. Absolutely, you know, there is so much, you know, so much uh, jealousy, you know, in and envy in those uh, those people who who just want to have power, and if they look at uh, if they look at what uh, you know, they look, if they look at the actions, 
would they have done the same thing in in front of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, those people who, you know, profess that yes, they are Muslims, but uh, they're still doing the same thing. And in this day and age as well, we can put the same example uh, as this, you know, those people who are terrorists, those people who claim that yes, we are following following Islam, but when it comes to their practical example, when it comes to um, their doings, then then how how contradictory uh, are they? Um, let's speak to let's speak to our guest who is on the line with us, who is an Imam, uh, Imam Marwan Gill, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in uh, in Argentina, very good friend of ours as well. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Assalamualaikum, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you and thank you very much for the kind invitation. Thank you so much for for taking time out uh, as well. Um, to begin with, many many Muslims are of the opinion that no festivities, no festivals, especially um, you know the the the, the arrangements of, uh, of of marriage, such as uh, the nikah ceremony or marriage itself, it uh, should be should be sort of uh, refrained from as well, should be postponed until these days pass, and then um, we should do it at a later date. Is that is that is that true? And if if that is true, then well, why is that? I think um, it's very important as Muslims always to um, be loyal and stick um, strongly, strictly um, the teachings and the sources of our religion. And in this, I, I refer especially that we are blessed with the guidance of the Holy Quran, hmm. the Sunnah of the Holy Prophet Muhammad hmm. who himself lived and practiced the teachings of the Quran and his verbal sayings. And then afterwards, we have even a a luxury, a treasure in 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 form of the four guided khulafa, hmm. and in there we don't find any clue or indication that one should not marry in certain time uh, during certain time frame, or also in this regard, if you not take the the incident of Karbala, hmm. uh, we don't find any um, proper even incident about the direct progeny or children of uh, Imam Hussein or afterwards that they would introduce such ceremonies or such, such rituals. And I think even if we go back, um, I think for sure it is a tragic uh, and a, a horrific incident and it makes every Muslim really, it saddens his heart. But we find also similar incidents in the life of previous prophets who suffered, who had to um, bear great moments of um, cruelty and suffering, but we don't find in any way that the Holy Prophet Muhammad even upon his own suffering, would um, prohibit his followers to be, to marry in certain moments, or uh, to, to, to practice other rituals or ceremonies. I mean, like, he was himself the person who suffered the most. Uh, even during the persecution in Mecca, mm. or also afterwards during several wars and battles against the uh, Kuffar from Mecca, but at no point the Holy Prophet used this as a moment of mourning in such a way that he would prohibit his followers to carry out certain civil or personal um, ceremonies. Mm. Very, very interesting. Um, when talking about the the actual battle which took place in uh, in in Karbala, how do Muslims commemorate this uh, this event that took place? 
think nowadays um, we, we all see and we all know these images from television and also from different Islamic um, from the Islamic world where we see mostly among Shia groups but also some other Muslim groups hmm. and denominations that they um, go out into streets or they organize uh, different manifestations in which uh, kind of they, they express their sorrow and their grief by punishing themselves many times by chanting or by hitting themselves hmm. Um, to an extent that with chains or other metal um, tools um, to the point that um, their body starts bleeding. And they, in a way, um, justify that they want to, in this sense, um, stimulate the, the same suffering of ahl and uh, Imam Hussein during the incident of Karbala. Hmm. So, in this sense, you have um, in one side these kind of um, expressions in the Islamic world and also then you find also other um, Muslims who would go and um, or they organize different events where they speak about Karbala. And then um, you have the, um, especially the way of us Ahmadi Muslims guided by the promised Messiah, the Imam of the age, and now then afterwards by the guidance of his fifth successor, um, His Holiness, Mirza Masood mm-hmm. Ahmed, where we celebrate and commemorate um, the martyrdom in this sense of Imam Hussein and the horrific tragedy uh, of Karbala by uh, praying for his uh, for the elevation of his spiritual status and uh, we remember um, not only him but all the progeny the spiritual and the physical progeny of the Holy Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. and we remember by ending the roots by invoking blessings and prayers upon the Holy Prophet Muhammad and all his um, children, progeny and uh, descendants. And um, I think for us it is important as well to take and pay heed to the message which uh, Imam Hussein left by his martyrdom. And it's a universal message, a universal teaching, um, as he showed us that um, in no circumstance we should um, we should accept the, or we should um, let dominate the unjustice, the unjustness over our own uh, personal convictions. I mean, he by his martyrdom showed us and give, go, gave us the lesson that we should always stick um, to the justice, to the truth. In this sense, that he did not have any personal grudge against Yazid. He did not fight out of any um, political ambitions against him. He, what he considered was the truth, is that he considered that the spiritual institution of caliphate cannot be inherited uh, or passed on as uh, as a part of a monarchy from one person to another. He was convinced that to be a spiritual caliph, a successor of the Holy Prophet Muhammad the person has to be appointed and chosen by God through the will of people. Hmm. And stick or uh, convinced of his principles, that is the reason why he rejected to um, perform the bad of Yazid. And by this he showed us that also we, I think as a Muslim, um, the, 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 the lesson which we can take from this incident is that also we in our worldly affairs, in our world, which we can consider or uh, symbolically um, uh, subscribe as, as, as mentioned as that we should follow his example and always stick to our convictions and always give preference over our religious, moral, and uh, spiritual convictions, over um, other fears, even it might, even if it is in this sense, we have to accept the defeat or our own um, loss of our own lives.
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean that. I mean, very well explained how you know how Muslims around the world um, in different sects as well, how they commemorate and remember this uh, this event as well, and what they do to you know in 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 memory of this. Just um, talking about the event uh, itself, why is this event, uh, the event of Karbala, why and how is it so significant and dare to, to, to Muslims as well? I think um, in this sense it's very important for the Muslims that um, Imam Hussein, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he was the son of uh, Hazrat Ali, and he was the grandson of the Holy Prophet Muhammad And all Muslims, or as a Muslim, uh, you have a deep and very strong love and effect um, to, to not only the Holy Prophet Muhammad but all his family members, all his dear ones. And in one saying, even the Holy Prophet Muhammad stated that the one who loves Imam Hussein, he loves me. So in this sense that he phrased it in such a manner that um, a part of my love is to love my progeny, my, my members of my house, Ahlul Bayt. Hmm. And, and in this sense, um, the Ahlul Bayt are very dear to any Muslim, and um, we have deep respect and reverence for them. And it's such a horrific tragedy, and it really gives um, such such uh, a sorrow and grief. And also, at the same time, it's like a shock that all um, Muslims, out of their worldly and political desires, they were uh, they came to the decision to to kill and assassinate in a horrific way. Imam Hussein and all the innocent members of, of Al-Bad, and among them there were even small children. Hmm. Uh, in this sense, um, for us, it's a really um, important incident to always remember um, the dear ones of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and also their sacrifices to maintain the teachings of Islam and the will of the Holy Prophet Muhammad As I explained, Imam Hussein, he and his dear ones, at no moment they were um, inciting towards a rebellious act against Yazid, or it was not due to um, personal grudge or difference of opinions which he had in this sense in, in, a, in a personal manner, nor did he act um, for any political ambitions or desires. His only disagreement was upon the title of the spiritual caliphate or performing the bad of Yazid. And even he at different points, he even offered himself that he's even ready um, to return to Mecca or to go to any place, any remote place and live lonely and keep on living lonely. Even he offered himself to go to a battle um, for the service, for the cause of Islam and to serve Islam against non-Muslims. Hmm. But um, he was just convinced that by doing his bad or accepting Yazid as the caliphate um, or the successor of the Holy Prophet he is um, not completing with the will of the Holy Prophet Muhammad In this sense, it's for us very important that Imam Hussein also acted and even offered his martyrdom um, as, a, as a, his allegiance and his alliance to, to the Holy Prophet Muhammad In this sense, it's a very important event for us. And also, it is an important event for us to, to remember that, um, as I mentioned, that for us it's also important to always uh, insane similar occasions of Karabala in our personal lives to show the same loyalty and show the same steadfastness and the same convictions which we find in all the prophets um, in the best manner we found in the in, in this example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and also in this case uh, in Imam Hussein during the tragedy of Karbala. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Very well uh, explained uh, there as well, how and why this is so important and dear for, for all of us Muslims out there as well around the world. Imam Rawan Gil, all the way from Argentina, thank you so much for, for joining us this afternoon and uh, Assalamu alaikum and have a, have a lovely day. Assalamu alaikum, thank you very much. So when we talk about uh, when we talk about the reason why it's so in so important, um, our guest Imam uh, Imam Rwan Gill, um, a missionary of the Ahmadi Muslim community from Argentina, explained uh, just explained to us how it's so important, why it's so important, and uh, you know how how it's so significant as well for 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 all of us as well, where we rem- where we remember where we commemorate uh, this event and the, ha- the 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 way that we commemorate the way that we remember this event as well you know different people different sects in islam they have different ways in which they remember in which they commemorate but it's important how how you know we don't we don't start anything new we don't make any innovations into into religion as well because this is uh, something which uh, you know which is absolutely not allowed in islam but as he mentioned, you know, sending durood, sending salutations, um, praying for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his progeny, um, you know, as you know, Imam Hussain, may Allah be pleased with him, was the, the grandson of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So remembering his progeny, remembering the companions as well, this is one of the reasons or one of the ways in which we can actually um, you know, benefit uh, ourselves from from this event as well. Let's uh, speak to our next guest who is on the line with us, uh, Imam Atawar Rahman Khalid, a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in Ireland. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum, Zakuna for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us this uh, this afternoon. Um, when we when we talk about uh, this event uh, which took place uh, the battle of karbala how do muslims sort of you know uh, we spoke a little bit about this as well but if you can also uh, give us some more information as well how do muslims commemorate this uh, this event well um, of course this event is of great historical significance in the islamic history and um, you know uh, the shia brothers in particular as you are aware, since they have a special, they feel a special connection um, to this event, to this incident. So they have their, their, their special manner in which they commemorate it, which has a lot of uh, physical uh, elements to it. So, you know, uh, just as the month of Muharram begins, they play the episodes in their minds of, of how the events unfolded which ultimately uh, culminated in the martyrdom of Hazrat Imam Hussain on the 10th mm. of Muharram. Mm. So, you know, they have deep, they express their deep sentiments of sorrow and uh, sadness um, on this occasion. Uh, as far as other Muslims are concerned, of course, uh, no true Muslim can be unaffected by this tragic incident. Uh, because we we are all connected, we are we all have reverence, deep reverence for the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who was the 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 greatest prophet. He was the seal of the prophets, as mentioned in the Holy Quran. He was the chief of the prophets, and so because of our immense love for him, 
and this being his grandson, um, you know, through his daughter, Hazrat Fatima, um, where he had two grandsons, Hazrat Imam Hassan and Hazrat Imam Hussain, radiallahu uh, anhuma. May Allah be pleased with them both. Um, and Hazrat Imam Hussain being the younger son. So the fact that he was the grandson of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So there's a sentimental attachment of love and affection towards him uh, felt by all Muslims. And this was a really, really tragic uh, event in the manner which he was martyred. And so all Muslims, um, although they may not uh, commemorate it in the way it is commemorated by our Shia Muslim brothers, uh, but they they also feel the, the, the sadness and the sorrow. And just as you mentioned earlier, uh, Amdi Muslims, uh, you know, also have these feelings, these sentiments, and so they recite Durood Sharif. They they uh, you know uh, make greater prayers during this month. Well, thank you, thank you for explaining that uh, to us as well. Um, talking about uh, the reason, sort of behind uh, this event, actually, you know, the reason why this event actually took place as well. Um, you know, His Holiness, the the second Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has he's written uh, a, a a piece on this, the outset of dissension in Islam, um, and talking. He's written. He's given us, uh, you know, you know the examples of how and why this dissension was actually starting as well, and the reason why it sort of led up to this battle of Karbala. And and uh, could you just tell us a little bit, a little back, a background information about this? And also the reason how it makes this event of Karbala so significant. Yeah, so um, it, it, the dissensions began in the period of Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu for a number of reasons. As a Muslim old has explained these in the book which you just mentioned, the outset of the dissensions of Islam. So of course time does not permit me to go into the details and mm. mention all the various reasons mm. as a Muslim old has explained. But I would recommend anyone who is interested, they can go to alislam.org and access this book. Um, but just uh, one or two points. Hazrat Muslim Anhu, the second caliph of the Amni Muslim community, he has explained that in the, the early period, you know, we're hearing Hazrat Friday sermons every week as well, of how Islam was expanding uh, the, the whole Muslim empire and, uh, you know, um, really, really expanded very quickly um, you know, in the period of Hazrat Abu Bakr and then in the period of Hazrat Umar, that, you know, there were so many Muslims who had not enjoyed the company of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so the the early fervor which with which they embraced Islam, it died down and they had not had the training and, uh, you know, company of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So uh, afterwards, um, you know, doubts or questions began to arise and previous habits began to surface. Yeah. And at the same time, so because um, Muslims were facing threats from different fronts, from the Roman Empire, from the Persian Empire, and a lot of effort was being consumed by warding off these enemies, that proper attention could not be given to their training. And so gradually, uh, these previous habits began to surface. And at the same time, uh, certain enemies of Islam uh, exploited such individuals. And, and such individuals who had 
on account of their um, actions uh, and crimes. They had received punishment um, under the Islamic rule. Hmm. They collected such individuals in order to uh, bring down Islam. And this led to the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Ali. Um, and, and of course, we have the tragic incident of uh, Hazrat Imam Hussain's martyrdom. And, uh, uh, of course, this is a very detailed uh, incident. But just to very briefly mention, Hazrat Imam Hussain, um, in the period after the Khulafai Rashidin, which was a period of around 30 years, hmm. um, with the demise of, uh, and martyrdom of Hazrat Ali, anhu, that's when the Banu Umayyah Khilafat began with Hazrat Amir Muawiyah. Hmm. And after him, uh, he named his son as the next Caliph uh, Yazid. And Hazrat Imam Hussain was not ready to initiate at his hand as he saw this to be uh, incorrect. Hmm. And uh, and so there was a great deal of pressure from other Muslims. And despite the, the pressures, he did not give in. And he ultimately preferred to uh, you know, be martyred, uh, to take the cup of death hmm. instead of submitting to falsehood. And and so, you know, Hazrat Imam Hussain, who was, I believe, he was, he was born five years after Hijrah. And this incident happened 61 years after Hijrah. And so he was around 56 years of age at the time. Mm. When, when this uh, you know, whole incident began to unfold, and he was uh, with, a, with a group of family and uh, members, he, w- he was in the area of Karbala, mm. where he was you know, surrounded by the forces of Yazid. And, you know, they were um, subjected to very cruel conditions where even water was stopped from reaching them. Mm. And ultimately, um, you know, a, a battle ensued between Imam Hussain and, uh, and uh, you know, the Yazid's army. And uh, on the 10th of Muharram, Hazrat Imam Hussain was martyred. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a, a deeply tragic event. And, you know, if he... Uh, look at the status of Hazrat Imam Hussain. As I mentioned earlier, he was the grandson of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had a daughter, Hazrat Fatima, Radiallahu Anha, who was married to Hazrat Ali, the fourth uh, Khalifa, Khalifa Rashidin. And uh, from from them, they they had two sons, Hazrat Imam Hussain and the, the younger being Hazrat Imam Hussain. Mm-hmm. So these were the grandchildren of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam showed great love to. Um, you know, at times he would be in prostration during prayer and Hazrat Imam Hassan and Imam Hussain would come and climb on his, climb on his back and the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would prolong his, his prostration just out of his love. At times he would grab the two of them and sit them in his lap and get them to embrace each other. And there's so many narrations which highlight the deep love the Holy Prophet ﷺ had for both of them. On one occasion, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, turning to Allah, he said that I love both these, um, you know, uh, of my grandchildren, uh, Imam Hassan and Imam Hussain. Uh, and so, oh Allah, you too, I wish that should love them, and and all the Muslims should should love them. 
So in, in various ways, you know, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has expressed his great love for both these individuals. And so they they had a lofty station. And the Prophet Sallallahu has mentioned that they are of the chiefs of the heaven. So they have a really lofty station um, which has been highlighted by both the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and by um, uh, the Prophet ﷺ as well, and this, in fact, was a decree and uh, of Allah the Almighty. This, uh, this, this tragic event, and it is, of course, of great uh, historical significance. And um, all Muslims are connected to it, uh, you know, through through this this connection of love, uh, which they have for the Holy Prophet mm-hmm. and uh, for, his, for his grandchildren. Absolutely, Imam Khalid. Uh, just one question. It might be not be uh, very directly related to to Muharram and the events, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, on on what grounds or on what basis we actually distinguish that up to this was the pious caliphate and then it is not pious caliphate. Um, on what grounds do you, do we make this decision and that we say that after Hazrat Ali? Um, you know, no, divinely uh, appointed. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm. So, so what what are the grounds on which that ha- that decision was or has to be made? Well, um, you know, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. If you look at his hadith, you know, we we find that he himself uh, explained what would happen after his dem- demise, and he mentioned the advent of the Khulafai Rashidin, right? Yeah. Um, and and he has specified this this period of time as well. Of, of 30 years and and uh, so after that he mentioned that you know there would be uh, kingship and then you know tyrant kings etc and then eventually after a period of a thousand years of darkness eventually you know the Khilafat Alam in Hajin Nubuwa would be established by Allah the Almighty so we, we know that uh, Islam was going to see a period of darkness when uh, the Holy Quran was going to be lifted, you know, the, the, the meaning and the, the spirit and kernel of Islam was going to be lifted to the Pleiades and it was going to be brought by back by at the hand of, um, you know, uh, the, the Imam Mahdi and the, the Messiah. So so that that's where the past caliphate starts again. Absolutely. So, so, yeah, so uh, of course, you know, based on the prophecy of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, with the advent of the Prophet Muslafat was going to be re-established with the uh, advent of the Imam Mahdi, and he was going to unite, you know, the uh, the early Muslims, you know, the the companions, those trained in the company of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, with with those in the time of the Messiah. There is a you know there's a couplet by Hazrat Muslim Maud, the second caliph uh, and uh, it's, it's very popular as well uh, which which is that you know wo wo humko husain banate hain aur aap yazidi bante hain ye kaisa sasta sauda hai dushman ko teer chalane do they make you husain like and themselves become like yazid what a good bargain it is let the enemy hurl arrows um, wo, what is meant by this well, of course, this this means that you know we see that Hazrat Imam Hussain was subjected to really cruel treatment by Yazid and and his his people, and uh, in the same way, and of course, Hazrat Imam Hussain was a brave and bold individual who, as I mentioned earlier, preferred martyrdom 
to falsehood. So of course the uh, Imam Mahdi and the Messiah is is like Hazrat Imam Hussain who would come and stand uh, up to falsehood and he would reestablish the true you know teachings of Islam. And so those people who um, choose to oppose this man of God who has been appointed by Allah the Almighty and at whose hand, you know, all those prophecies of the Holy Prophet وسلم, and the Holy Quran regarding the latter days are fulfilled in, who, in whose person, then if anyone stands up against him and tries to persecute him and, and his community, then naturally they would be more aligned to the, the Yazid and, and his forces. And so, uh, has the Muslim, uh, so in this poem, as a Muslim mode is expressing how it's it's a, such an easy bargain that, you know, we're ready to face such opposition because, you know, like Hazrat Imam Hussain, if we are right, then this is surely an easy bargain through which we can win the pleasure of Allah the Almighty. Absolutely. Very very well explained uh, there as well. Imam Atar Rahman Khalid, uh, missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in uh, in Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon and speaking to us, giving us uh, some more insight and information about uh, the, the Battle of Karbala, the significance of it as well, and how we how we sort of remember and commemorate this uh, this uh, <coughs> tragic event as well. Zakallah. I think that Allah, thank you. Uh, the the best way to commemorate the event is actually to um, to learn lessons from from what happened and uh, you know what was the purpose of the sacrifice mm. of Imam Hussain on the Humvee peace. Uh, the yeah. um, you know uh, obviously his sacrifice has not gone in vain and of course, um, Islam. Of <coughs> Islam has obviously one need to learn lessons from the history, mm. and as these have uh, these events happened, that an innocent person was uh, opposed by the tyrants, and uh, he did not, uh, you know, he did not um, accept um, in even in those conditions that you know whatever happens, uh, he stood forth for the sake of. The truth. The truth. And yeah. uh, even nowadays, yeah. we uh, we face such incidents, and we see these incidents where people have been put into prison, the people have been uh, <coughs> martyred, the people they have been, uh, you know, um, target killings, massive, mm. um, you know, big big incidences. Whereas, so all these things are not going to suppress the truth from uh, God of Almighty. Course. Of course, if God Almighty has raised um, somebody as the history tells us that um, the truth prevails those who have been appointed by God Almighty even though they do not have the big resources they are apparently weak they uh, you know, they are not powerful at the time but um, because God Almighty is on their side so he is the one who uh, who makes sure because God Almighty has promised in the Holy Quran that that I have written it down that myself and my prophets are going to be to prevail. So, so that 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 truth always prevails. And Hazrat Imam Hussain, obviously, we remember because um, he he was a a person who um, who became a symbol of sacrifice mm. for the mm. sake of the of truth. Uh, and the status of Hazrat Imam Hussain, obviously, uh, as uh, our community, the the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he had a great love 
for uh, Hazrat Imam Hussain. Mm. Uh, obviously, because one reason was that he was directly related to the Holy Prophet of Islam. And anybody who is related to the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we do have a, a respect for him. Mm. But he was not only physically related to him, but he stood for his uh, principles. His principles. Uh, and he was a very yeah. pious person. And he was... Uh, a very holy person and uh, the, 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 the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has time and again mentioned that he was a noble man and uh, at, at one uh, you know uh, um, he, he writes at, at uh, one place that uh, Hussain was a pious man and surely was from among the noble people whom God Almighty himself purifies mm. and fills them with his love and is from among the leaders of heaven and to hold even the slightest of grudges against him can endanger one's faith. His righteousness, love for God, patience, piety and worship is a perfect model for us and we are the followers of that guidance which was granted to him. Such a heart is completely destroyed that bears enmity towards him but one that displays love for him through his actions and perfectly reflects every trace of his faith, morals, bravery, righteousness, patience, and love for God will surely succeed. Absolutely, you know uh, the there there is a there is a short uh, audio clip which we want to uh, play for our listeners as well, which speaks about the significance of, uh, of you know of this whole of this whole event as well. Well, let me first uh, tell you that uh, Hadrat Imam Hussain, as I just told you, uh, was a grandson of the Holy Prophet He had his elder brother, Hadrat Imam Hassan, and he was younger, younger than that, Imam Hussain. Uh, both were uh, sons of Hadrat Ali and Hadrat Fatima, who was uh, one of the daughters of the Holy Prophet Hadrat Imam Hussain was born in uh, fifth year of Hijra. And this incident happened, as I just mentioned, in 61. So you can say about 66 years, uh, 56 or 57 years. Mm. So that was the age uh, when this incident happened. So the early, in the early part of his life, one thing which we come across very frequently in Hadith, that the Holy Prophet used to love his grandsons very much. There are so many narrations about that. He used to, you know, whenever meet them, kiss them, and take them in his lap, in his hands. And uh, sometimes he used to make them sit on his uh, right leg and left leg together, embrace them together. And he showed always that he was really in love with those. And that's an exemplary thing. And uh, moreover, he used to say so many things. One of the things uh, which I recall at this time is that he used to say, as if addressing it to Allah Almighty, O oh my Allah, I love these children very much. You also love them. And those who love these, those who love me, they should also love them, something like this. So various ways he has mentioned that these children were very, very dear to him. And we also read in some hadith that these children sometime, very blessed children for that matter, because they were the grandsons of the Holy Prophet and also the recipient of his so much affection and love. So they used to sometime come and sit on the back of the Holy Prophet when he was in prostration. And the Holy Prophet was so kind, he was so kind to all the children, 
but particularly to his own grandsons, mm -hmm. that he would just be sometime prolong this sajda, the prostration, sometime, you know, just take them off very quietly, lovingly, and only then he would get up. So these were all the expressions of his great love. Mm -hmm. So Hadrat Imam Hussain was that young blessed child as he grew up in his childhood. So, so that was uh, how the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, loved his grandsons, Hazrat Imam Hassan and also Hazrat Imam Hussain. May Allah be pleased with both of them and how, you know, how, how this sort of brings the significance of this whole month and this whole this whole incident of Karbala uh, uh, as well. Um, you know, the, you know, this whole event uh, which took place, uh, the, the, the Khulafa, the caliphs of the Ahmadi Muslim community have uh, you know have spoken about this as well regarding the incidents of Karbala we find great love and pain of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace and his son Hazrat uh, Bashir Ahmad may Allah be pleased with him narrates that once during the month of Muharram the promised Messiah upon whom be peace was resting on a bed in his garden when he called upon our sister Mubarakah Begum and our brother Mubarak Ahmad the youngest amongst his children, and said, Let me tell you the story of Muharram. Then, in a tone of great pain, he related the incidents connected with the martyrdom of Imam Hussain. May Allah be pleased with him. And all the time, tears were flowing from his eyes, which he would wipe away with the tip of his fingers from time to time. At the end of the story, he said in a great, in a great, uh, in a great anguish, this was the heartless injustice which the despicable Yazid had uh, perpetrated against the grandson of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But soon after, God seized these callous people with his punishment. So it wasn't as if they got away with it. Allah the Almighty punished these people as well in this world and uh, uh, if Allah wills in the hereafter as well. So this, you know, all of these, uh, all of these events, they, they, they remind us. They remind us of, uh, you know, different events. You know, the the whole event which took place and how it uh, went about as well. But also, as you mentioned before as well, that we need to take example. We need to make this uh, take heed from this example and better our, you know, our spiritual status as well. Um. Of course, uh, you know, the, the Promised Messiah and the Holy Founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community had a great, mm. um, he has mentioned very clearly that he ha has, Imam Hussain has a great high status in mm. his eyes. And uh, <coughs> um, uh, 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 and we believe that Yazid was a worldly person mm. and he was a tyrant and uh, and he, he would be among those about whom the Holy Quran says that these are the people who say that they have believed, but mm. they have only um, they have only accepted Islam, but there is and it has not Faith been printed on their yeah, hearts. Yeah. So, so that is the reason why he did not accept him to be as a as a caliph. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? If 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 one is not uh, divinely appointed, if one you know, if even the people uh, do not accept him. And then, of of course, you know the the will of God was and is that, you know, whatever he whatever he wills, he does whatever he wills. If he chooses someone, then he will let the people also uh, follow that person as well, his example. But if you just look at, 
Yazid, in the way that he portrayed himself, the way that he became a sort of a a um, a, a power hungry, you know, power hungry, bloodthirsty as well. He wanted that uh, that power, and uh, just like you mentioned, uh, you know, faith. He he was the one who who said that he believes, he has accepted, but faith has not uh, penetrated into his heart. He has not become a a Mormon, you know, a a, a believer. He may have become uh, an outward Muslim, but uh, believer is something completely, completely else. Now, uh, I mean, you know, there are other things which we can talk about as well, but this, this is uh, all we have uh, time for um, uh, today's on today's show. Today's show was produced uh, and researched by Sayyida Tahida uh, Hassan, Soma Ahmed and Tayyiba Nasir. Zakala, thank you so much to them. And of course, uh, the technical support, uh, uh, Habib Sadiq in the technical studio. Of course, Dr. Tariq Bajistar, it's always a pleasure to present with you on The Voice of Islam as well. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.